0: This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of Madalena and the Dark by Julia Fine.
1: Madalena and the Dark is a novel set in 18th century Venice at a prestigious music school about two girls drawn together by a dangerous wager. You have 15-year-old Louisa, a young girl who has only ever wanted one thing: to be the best at violin. She has peers, but she does not have friends
0: until Madalena. But Madalena has a secret. She's hatched a dangerous plot to rescue her future her own way. When she invites Luisa into her plans, promising
1: to make her dreams come true, Luisa doesn't hesitate.
0: The girls are drawn into the decadent world outside their music school and must decide what they truly want and what they're willing to pay for it.
1: This book has all the things we love, female friendship, women with boundless desires and secrets, music and magic, all in a beautiful Italian setting.
0: Get Madalena and the Dark, narrated by Sophie Roberts, wherever you get audiobooks today. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Colleen McKeegan. Colleen is an author and editor whose work has appeared in The Cut, Elle, Bustle, Glamour, Fortune, and Marie Claire. A native of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and a graduate of Georgetown University, Colleen now lives with her family in New York. Her debut novel, The Wild One, is now out in paperback. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Colleen.
2: Thank you. Very
0: exciting. Colleen, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I love doing a paperback release because you've learned something over, like, right? Okay, good. Yes. Uh, good. Uh, just, yeah. just a few small things. <laughs> and then also, like, you have more talking points and you're just you're in a different place than it is like pre-publication people who are like gripping that's the other thing you look so calm and collected because you are (laughs) probably about certainly about the wild one at this point right? yes
2: yes for sure yes yeah no it is it is so funny I was gonna say like I remember this time last year just being and I, I had mentioned this to you last week when we were chatting but I feel like I was just this close Every single day leading up to publication to having like a total anxiety attack. And it was just, you know, you're being told so much of your life when you're interested in pursuing fiction or just publishing in general about how amazing and exciting and dreamlike it is. And now that I actually know a lot of authors and and am more immersed in the community, I obviously know that, like, that's not the case. And whatever right. I was reading or finding out about was absolutely the wrong sources for it. And right. that, like, you're putting a, a piece of yourself out there and it's a really vulnerable, scary thing. And you also have no control. And that's the craziest part is once you get to a certain point in the publishing journey, really, it's kind of after you, like pressed end on your final draft and it's going into copy and then it's sort of at the behest of your publisher and you know the resources that they'll provide for you and all of that you're really just long for the ride then and that's something I don't think I fully understood until I got on the other side of publishing the wild one and something that now that I've again been able to chat with other authors um, I feel is always so important to share with debut novelists before they're about to to go out because it's just like you know take a deep breath and just try and know that like there really is not much else you can do after you hit a certain Mm -hmm. point. The only thing you can do to stay calm is try and work on whatever's next because otherwise you just spiral, which I absolutely did in many ways. And luckily I had my kids keeping me grounded and that, that helped because they sort of were, my younger son at that point was one. So I was like really still in the thick of things that helped, but regardless, it feels so much different and better this round with the paperback, because I'm just yeah. like, all right, like tell me where I need yeah. to be and when I need to be there yeah. and I'm good, but I'm, yeah. I'm really just, I feel so much more confident and, and happy wow. and calm this, Although, this go around. I think that might also have
0: to do with the fact that you have a, a new two book deal. <laughs> right, <laughs> That is true. That so helps, that that helps yes, a lot. That helps. <laughs> that helps. So
1: why don't you start by telling our yes, listeners a little bit about the wild one?
2: So The Wild One is a coming of age story that I, it has hints of mystery and suspense. I'd say some significant hints of suspense in it. (laughs) That is about three friends who meet, somewhat friends, who meet at summer camp, an all-girls summer camp when they are 12. And they leave that summer with a deadly childhood secret that sort of haunts them. And the ways that they attempt to move on from this event for the next 10 plus years. And the narrator is one of the girls, Amanda, who she's living in New York City in her early 20s. She's in her first serious relationship and, you know, head over heels in love. Everything seems great and perfect. And she, feels that she can really trust her partner. And so she reveals what actually happened that summer to him. And when the relationship takes a turn and things start getting a bit more volatile, he tries to use that secret to keep her in the relationship. And so she reunites with the other two girls in the Poconos at the camp where it all began to essentially figure out how to make sure that he doesn't completely ruin all of their lives.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's a good hook some real hints of suspense, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny so. because it's its a kind of, you know, it's been marketed as a thriller, but I think that there are some people who are going in and they're thinking they're getting like Stephen King or Riley Sager type novel mm-hmm. where it's almost like horror. And then there are others who are like, okay, this is a slow burn coming of age friendship and like sort of female like identity story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it just depends on, who you are as a reader and like what your tastes are, because I just always try and be very upfront with people where it's like, if you're coming for a twist every chapter, that's not what this book is. It's very focused on the relationships. And, you know, there's a lot of undertones of, it's why I'm so excited to be on this podcast, because there's a lot of undertones of just like the complexity of being a woman and growing up. Mm. And and yes, there is murder and there's some blood and there's some yeah. backstabbing and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the core of the book is about these really what I think are two really challenging periods of time in, in women's lives yeah. where they're sort of going through puberty and mm. are trying to grapple with the way that the world perceives them in this new light, Mm -hmm. uh, and how they want to be perceived by the world. And then in their early 20s, where they're really um, more, you know, for the majority of, of women, certainly there are people who are fully on their own before their early 20s. But kind of after college, when you're really figuring out like who you are completely on your own without the influence of your family or your teachers or anything along those lines. And I think that can be especially in New York, a city like New York, that can feel like a really, really Kind of daunting time in your life as well.
0: Yes, I was just at Thriller Fest this weekend, and Mm -hmm. no one can tell you what a thriller like. There are so (laughs) So many sub genres, (laughs) and the thing is, yes, this does. You're right. It focuses on the relationships and kind of unraveling for us what happened and the dynamics between the people at camp, and then also now in her present day life, which we'll talk about more later. But it is a page turner. I could not stop. So that to me is like the hallmark of this kind of thriller, wh- what they're saying about a thriller and, or suspense is that I can't stop turning the page. So mm-hmm. you've got
2: that in spades. Well, thank yeah. you. I'm, that's like that is the greatest compliment because ultimately that's what you want is for people to keep wanting to read yes yeah. a DNF like, is just it's I never oh. want to see it I will oh. I have seen it I of yeah. course that is you know everything when it comes to people's taste in, in novels it's all subjective and I I do not yeah. fault anybody for that but like ultimately what you want right is for people to just keep on keep on turning yes. and keep on reading I'm like
0: please give it a chance all the way to the end <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. just yes. like skip a few chapters if you have to, you have no, to. I'm just yes. kidding I love <laughs> that around so
1: let's go to Amanda. You said you're our narrator. As you mentioned, she's in New York, New York City, living in Tribeca, finally has this the committed relationship, attending grad school. I mean, as you said, it sort of seems like things are pretty good, mm-hmm. except on page one, we learned that years ago, she killed a man with her two fellow campers, Catherine and Meg. So tell us about Amanda. I mean, did you start with her? Driving the story, or how did you come to know her, or any challenges you face when writing her character?
2: Yeah, so when I first started working on this draft, it actually started, and this is going beyond just Amanda, but the origin story of The Wild One is I probably, it was 2016, I think, is when I first started just like messing around with some of these characters. And I actually started it as a middle grade novel. Interestingly, it's completely changed, but the characters were were a bit more similar. And I think my working title for it was like Adventure Girls, and which is very embarrassing now, but but for <laughs> a middle a grade novel, you middle know, middle grade it's novel, fine. Title. Yes. right? Okay. And and so I I had focused specifically on their time at camp, and it was a little bit of a nod to Stand by Me, which is based on you know a novella by Stephen King, and I just I felt like. I wanted to create kind of a female version of an adventure book that had these undertones of darkness that were really so popular in like the 80s and 90s, you know, like the Goonies and and just Mm -hmm. a, a lot of, I'm talking more about movies, but obviously when I was growing up, that's what I I read a lot of or I watched a lot of those types of movies. And then also in terms of the books that I read, like I was really into Pippi Longstocking, you know, just some of the the books where things were the girls were getting a little bit more messy. So I wanted to write a little bit more of like a slow burn type of story about that time in life for girls. And so it was much less of a thriller kind of, or like a, a twisty story. And I had alternating chapters that were from different perspectives of each of the characters. So I had Amanda, Meg, there were chapters from their perspective. And then I also had Larry, who is one of the campers in the book. Mm-hmm, yeah. I also had chapters from, from her. And I love Larry as a character because yeah. she reminds me of my older sister, who's an athlete and like, just like a very good person. And, and so I think like I was kind of, trying to maybe fit her into the narrative in a way that didn't necessarily work. So I had a very, very bad first draft of this book. And I ended up applying, at the time I was working full-time at Marie Claire as an editor there, and I applied on a whim to a writing retreat that Corinne knows well, the NorCal Writers Retreat. And at this point, this was 2000, this was fall of 2017. And I applied, didn't tell anybody, including my husband, because I was sort of like, well, we'll see where this goes. And I had some money set aside for some, like if I, I'd just been trying to save some extra money for like creative projects in case I wanted to do something like that. And I ended up getting in, which was super exciting. And it became the spark to actually tell people in my life that I was working on fiction. Usually I feel like my friends, I would always sort of, like talk about things. And I'd like come home from a bar at like 2 a.m. and be like, oh, let me write this short story. And it was a lot of like more literary types of fiction. And honestly, probably just like bad. I don't, I like I have legal pads in a desk somewhere with these stories that maybe I can revisit one day. But for right now, I think I need more distance from them because they're just embarrassing. And uh, anyway, so I I ended up getting into this retreat and I had to tell my my boss at the time Anne Follemider, who's the editor-in-chief of, was the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire at the time, and our executive editor, Riza Cruz, that I was working on a novel and I had gotten into this retreat. And that was ended up being the best thing in the world because suddenly I had all of these people super excited and invested in this journey that I was attempting to go on. And Some of them might have been interested in doing something fiction-wise themselves, but most of my writer friends at that point were nonfiction writers. They were journalists. And a lot of us who had those, like, we just felt like it was a totally different Area and, and genre and category that maybe we could do, maybe we couldn't. I just think a lot of journalists when they're starting to work on fiction tend to be a little bit more. They keep it a little bit closer to the chest because it's just outside of their their purview. Comforting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. And then I went to NorCal, and two things happened. We we workshop the book, and basically the feedback was that Amanda and Catherine had the strongest voices in the chapters that we workshopped. I had always felt like Amanda in terms of her like just general voice and and whatnot felt really natural to me and Catherine similarly so. And then Larry, again, as I mentioned, was more sort of modeled off of my sister, but she just wasn't real, like her chapters weren't really moving the plot forward. And then Meg, I loved writing, but it, one of the things I felt like When, in terms of finding the perspective of like who's going to tell this story, like who's our vehicle, is that Meg almost feels obvious. Like I feel like it's always that character who is telling the story. And it's like the one who has like the most trauma, the most sort of, and it's totally fine. And it's a great way to tell a story. But I just wanted to have a little bit more of, as I mentioned, the story to me was less about like, this event and this murder. And it was more about all of these complex relationships and the sort of push-pull of trying to figure out who you are and where you want to fit in when you're young and, and in your early 20s. And I felt like Amanda was a little bit of an easier vehicle to tell that story through. So so that's why I ended up choosing Amanda as my main narrator.
0: That's, wow, That's a it's a twisty road, right? Yeah, it, didn't it was twisty. You start with Amanda. You- well,
2: and so I still, yeah. and so I'm still like, I still am thinking it's a middle grade novel as oh I'm at NorCal. And then oh, okay. I ended with, we were having wine, and, you know, I'd like the best thing about that place is that, like, once you're done with the workshops and you're just like surrounded by a bunch of people who want to talk about books and writing, yeah. and it's so beautiful yeah. and wonderful. And We were sitting there and the author in residence at the time was Stephanie Dandler, who is such a a wonderful person and just obviously so thoughtful and smart. And we were chatting about my manuscript, a few of us, and she gave me, and I now share this advice with everybody, but she gave me the best advice where we we were talking about my manuscript and she's like, you don't really want to write a middle grade novel, do you? And I was like, ugh no, I don't think so. But I feel like I should, because Mm. I feel like this story is, you know, I was, I just felt like it was like this girl power story and and all of that. And she just said, like, write the book you want to read. And that's the best advice Mm. that I got because it completely upended my approach. I ended up essentially rewriting most of the book, but in a way I left at square one, but I also had such a clearer Uh vision and passion Uh for like where this book was going to go and what I wanted it to say and do. And that's when I started adding in those chapters in the early 20s, because I felt like they were a nice complement to the, the 12-year-old chapters. And then just really honed Amanda's voice and wrote ultimately the book that I wanted to read. And that's Isn't just it- what I focused on, which is also Isn't why it's it- kind of short, because I was like, in the yeah. process of this, I had kids and, you know, it just was yeah. like, okay, I need a book that I can really read in like one or two sittings and- and still feel like there's some depth and some substance there. Yeah.
0: It is so wild that I'm starting to hear that more and more people talk about. I mean, it's people started talking about the novels in the drawer, but nobody really talked about what they were. It's just like, okay, they were practice novels. But now yeah. I'm starting to hear a little bit more and more. It's always the book you thought you were supposed to write. You should write, the one that and it ends up being weighted down, even if you get through it by obligation or something else that is not the thing that really drives you wanting to put it out there i have a novel in the drawer that if i had if that had been my debut novel i think i would be really upset like i don't it was the book i felt i thought i should write and now i'm writing the book i want to read like you said i love that that is wild yeah
2: yeah yeah and I so, think there's like yeah. no other way to do it, right? Too, because it's yeah, such God. a slog to write a novel <laughs> and um, edit it and, 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 and edit get it. A it's
0: an agent and get. Oh, totally. I mean, it's like,
2: it's so funny because you hear about some of these people where it's like, oh, they've been working on this novel for 10 years. And it's like, well, like maybe like five of those years were actually like with an edit, you know, because it's such a a lengthy process. But also I found I since I was working full time when I started working on The Wild One, that like working on The Wild One did not mean that I was sitting at a desk every day For eight hours a day, writing and whatnot. I was just, there were some weeks where I just was way too busy and I had a zillion deadlines. I got married in the midst of this. I like moved to the suburbs. I had a child. You know, it just, there were a lot of periods where I wasn't doing any writing at all. And that was completely fine because I just, I'm sure if I had been attempting to write during those periods, it would have been absolute terrible terrible <laughs> prose so I'm just I'm I'm happy that I ended up having this winding road because I also think that like who I was when I started writing this book was very different than who I am today like a week before the paperback comes out and I'm just you know certainly at my core very similar but I just feel like my My brain and my life and my mind and the way I perceive things, especially things that, you know, happened when in those phases that I wrote about, like, I probably would write The Wild One completely differently today Today. than I did even five years ago.
0: That is so so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about 12-year-old Amanda. She is dreading camp, but her parents are sending her there because she's had a little bit of a mean streak since her best friend Grace moved to California. And she thinks her middle school social life will be completely ruined if she disappears for the summer. But when she gets there, she feels the magic. I'd like to read a little bit, if that's okay with you, Of um, course. about that, that feeling and what she sees and feels. You write, They started talking about how the, their home friends didn't get why they love camp so much, why they put Catalpa on a pedestal. And I quickly began to understand its magic. It's a little like the earliest days of college when time both speeds up and slows down. A day feels like a week, a week, a month, a month, a year. You spend 24-7 with total strangers, people you would never cross paths with in regular life. And like family members, their personalities wear on you, becoming an expected and predictable and comforting part of your day. It's apparent safety and happiness and fun, pure, unadulterated fun the best cocktail you'll ever sip. I love that part. You were also similar to Amanda, a reluctant camper in your real life. I read an essay that you had wrote. So tell us about the decision to it sounds like this was a long now that we've talked about it before I had this question this was a long time decision was to make it a camp. That was seems Mm -hmm.
2: like it was non-negotiable for you. Yeah. So so what what was that spark that you were like I want to write about camp. So obviously, just from that passage, you can tell that I am now fully and completely a camp person, which is so funny that I ended up writing a book that is not so great about camp, but I think it captures the nostalgia. But certainly the the summer camp that I went to was just amazing in the best five summers of my, my childhood. But I actually, when I started dating my now husband, who is from my hometown of Allentown, Pennsylvania, we reconnected. We had gone to high school together and we reconnected in New York. And this is 2014 was the first summer that I went. We were dating and I, I went on vacation with his family. And every year they do a massive, he has like a zillion cousins and his dad is one of five. And they all go to Lake Wall and Paw in the Poconos. Every summer around the 4th of July, everybody rents houses. And instead of getting together, because everybody's spread all over, instead of getting together for like, Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that, they do the lake. So I was invited to this gathering in 2014. And, you know, his mom sent us the address and I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, the house we're staying at is within like five miles of my, my old summer camp. Oh and my I hadn't been to... Onika, my summer camp in years. I had gone until the summer before high school started, and then I just had sort of sports camps and things like that that I had to do instead. Maybe I had gone a year or two after because both my sisters went a little bit longer than I did, but it, it had been years. And I, of course, made Pat, my husband, I was like, "We're gonna go tour Onika. Uh, I'm just gonna uh, show uh, up uh, and course, and you know and. Course. And so at the time, you know, again, Pat knew throughout all of this that like I even though I said I hadn't really told most people I was working on something, you know, of course, when you're dating somebody, like I told him my hopes and dreams and and whatnot. So he knew that I was always interested in pursuing some kind of fiction. And I remember that summer, I was reading Gillian Flynn, I think. And Mm -hmm. so like the fiction I was working on, it just felt like too dark for what I want. You know, it was just one of those things where I think I was like, Again, trying to write a book I thought I should write, or just a a project. And so we went to Onika, and we looked around and we toured it. And the second I walked onto that campus, I was just like, oh, fully transported, fully transported back in time. Like, they had done some slight renovations and things like that, but it's a pretty small camp, and so much was exactly the same, including Mm. some of the counselors, some – like, it just was – I had a friend who – she actually is now in publishing, but at the time, she was still – in the summers, because she was, I think, still in school or was like, get, she, she was still working there in the summers as like sort of their director of curriculum or director of like activities. And it was just so funny because I walked in and I'm like, oh my gosh, hi, hi. Like you're just seeing all of these people. And in a way, we all look the same, but we don't. And, mm-hmm. It was amazing. I think Pat, it's it's an all-girls camp. So Pat was a little bit terrified because everywhere he went, you <laughs> yeah. know, you shout like man in the row and everybody makes sure that they're uh-huh. dressed and covered yes. up and yes. you know, yes. all that kind of stuff. But the feeling that I had, it was, you know, that that perfect cocktail that I wrote about. It was mm-hmm. this feeling of like nostalgia and safety and comfort and fun and for me, my camp experience, certainly there were you know, ups and downs with different relationships that I have with different campers. But in general, like I have nothing but positive things to say about those summers. And I feel that they were really wonderful and formative for me in helping me mold my own independence and, and just not be so attached and, and whatnot to my parents and to my friends from home and, and all that. It just helped mm-hmm. open up my worldview a bit. And so... So it was just wonderful to be back there. So that's 2014, and I just kind of knew, like, maybe there's something to this story, right? But at the same time, like, there's a zillion camp stories that are out there. So how do I write one that feels unique to me and to my experiences and observations and and whatnot, but also makes a larger point? So I think I just I kind of noodled on it. I, I worked on some different ideas in the meantime that were not really set at camp. And then it really wasn't until 2016 because we went back every summer. So every summer yeah. I would go back and visit camp oh, right. and I would like go to the blueberry farm right around the, the yeah. corner where like they have the best ice cream in the world. paw Pack blueberry farm. If you're in the Poconos, yeah. go there. Highly yeah. recommend. But, but yeah, so it was, it was really that was the spark of the setting and how I knew that there was something really special about that place. And I felt like it was just such fertile ground for telling a story a coming of age story for young girls Mm
0: -hmm. yes the camp experience
2: is like i just feel like for
1: people who have had it it's exactly what you're talking about and such an important part of so many people's childhood that they, like you said, the nostalgia, I never went to sleepaway camp. I don't think you did either. Corinne, I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, So, but the people who have had this experience, I feel like they're so relatable. Like it's just, it's a thing. And it's so interesting then that your husband's family tradition of going to this lake sort of merged with your, I mean, camp experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it really, it was,
2: it was, it's, was just sort of like all meant to be and yeah. and it turns out that his uncle was he's a like a internal medicine doctor in the area and he lives in in like Holly kind of area now. And he was when Onika girls got sick or anything happened, like we would go to Dr. Dewar. Wow. And it's just so funny that again, I ended up, I don't, yeah. I don't remember ever having to go. And I don't right. think I was ever injured or sick enough that I had to, but my little sister possibly did. Cause she stepped on a nail at some point, you know, just stuff happens at yeah. camp. And it was so funny because his Pat like didn't know anything about Camp Onega, but I met his Uncle at the lake that summer, and he's like, "You're an Onika girl, no way!" Oh. And it's just again <laughs> this this small, wow. wonderful tight knit community. But I do think, you know, Kate, what you were saying about how formative and and like intense this experience is mm-hmm. to people who have gone to camp. Yeah. I think it's interesting. That like for those who really, really loved camp, it's one thing. But even for those who went and maybe didn't like it, it's also a very formative experience and something that really might have helped shape them in in different ways. And so that was something, too, with Amanda – you know, I could have easily written a love letter to camp and I could have, which in a way I did, but I also then wanted to subvert it a bit and have it be this camp experience that went wrong because I do think it is very, it's very easy to be super sentimental about camp and even like just looking back on, you know, some of the tween years and like with rose colored glasses. And so instead what I wanted to do was just sort of be really like raw and honest about the in- the rough times that happen when like your brain is still developing, you don't have impulse control, you have no parents. (laughs) And that was another thing too of writing about this age. I felt like camp was a really, really great setting because you don't have parents holding your hand through every conflict and you're really forced to have to navigate the sort of relationship ups and downs that you have with friends with girls who have really different personalities than you who maybe have different conflict resolution like methodologies and ways that they were taught to to deal with conflict than you and you are really thrown into that when you're at camp and I wanted to be able to use this setting to allow for that to bubble in both positive and negative ways
0: yeah yeah no well, I you think did that's a good <laughs> yeah,
1: you did. Because, you know, you mentioned female friendship, and it's something we love to talk about. And we love books that that dive into it. But like you're saying, I mean, the, this isn't like rollicking besties here, like, like, oh, my camp friends, you know, but they've, you know, they've been through it. They've been through it together. So there is this bond, but it is also, as you're saying, a really heightened experience because of the setting, but also because of their age so you have Amanda and Rachel at home and then Sydney, Sarah, Larry, Catherine and Meg at camp. So you've got this whole dynamic. So tell us why you wanted to explore that, sort of this this female friendship and not, like I said, just the BFF version. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I, I think for me, and I will say like, I, I am not Amanda. There are a lot of similarities in, in terms of, again, like, when she was faced with something. And I always tell people like, when I took a right, I sort of had Amanda take a left. Mm. And part of that was, I think Amanda should, I hope feel familiar to a lot of people because she doesn't have much of a backbone of her own. And some of that, and even sort of an identity of her own because she's always sort of leached onto a bigger personality. And... I felt summer camp typically can help somebody like that really find themselves and find their voice. But at the same time, summer camp is interesting because who you were when you go the, your first year could be very different than who you are by the mm-hmm. end. And like, there were times I went for five summers, my sisters went for a little bit longer. And there were some girls who maybe our first or second year, like, no, thank you. I will pass on being friends with that person and then, by the end of camp, you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with this person, and we love each other, and we want to be friends forever and Obviously, that's just part of growing up, but also, I think that camp in particular and also just again growing up in your tween and teenage years, like there's a lot that can go on in the school year in between, and, yeah. it was interesting. There were some girls and and like I had this happen with Sarah, one of the characters. Where you know her parents are going through a divorce and it obviously dramatically impacts mm-hmm. her in general and she's a really really she's become a really nasty girl and she's just trying to control what she can. And I think I'm fascinated by sort of, what causes bullying at that age. And then also when like the bullied become bullies, because I think that those are phenomenons that happen um, at various stages. And I also feel, I don't know if bully is the right word, but I think that most people at some point in their life, whether it was in their tween years or later, have probably had some various stages where they weren't so nice. And, you know, that happens. That's human. That's real. And your life and what's What's kind of going on around you and in your head can greatly impact your behavior. And I think at age 12, you have a lot less control over your emotions and, you know, certainly your life circumstances. And so for all of the girls, I just kind of wanted to capture that moment. And some of them think like Sydney is a great, a great character because everything, she's just kind of like happy go lucky. She's probably my favorite character in the book, which is Probably why I named her after our dog, who I love deeply. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah. But but you know, with Amanda and her journey, as well as Catherine. With Catherine, it's kind of interesting because she is at that phase where, like, she's always just liked herself and she's always been happy with herself, and suddenly it's sort of like this idea of, well, I like myself and I'm okay with myself. Why don't other people like? What is so wrong with? with the way that I'm existing or you know why am I sort of getting picked on or targeted and she's really good at compartmentalizing but I I think you know it's interesting because she's a little bit less obsessed she's much less obsessed with sort of the popularity and the societal pressures but she's starting to get some anger and resentment towards mm-hmm. people who are because she just wants to live her life and exist without having to deal with it and her and Amanda are interesting because, like, there is this push-pull where Amanda likes her but also doesn't, right? Because she sort of is afraid that associating with Catherine will make the cool girls not like her. Yeah. And there's – I think all of these dynamics are just mm-hmm. normal oh, tween dynamics. And it's funny and because – Catherine's
0: definitely a – aries by the way
2: (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's also it's so funny because I mean I i not to give I'm not gonna give away any spoilers but Catherine to me I remember in earlier drafts she was you know as I mentioned it wasn't as much of a thrillery kind of vibe and the ending was not as dark and Catherine was just like this sort of adorable dorky Girl Scout type and my agent had said to me she's like I think we have to add a little bit of darkness here and, you know, all of that. And she's like, who did you model Catherine on? Because it feels like it's somebody who you really love. And again, this is a very different version of who right. she ended up becoming. And I was like, kind of modeled after my husband because he's an Eagle Scout and he, like, uh, loves nature. Oh, and, and Pat always laughs because he he's like, oh, man, I hope I hope people know that, like, in the final version, that's not me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but. But you can almost tell in those earlier chapters before things really go wrong with all the girls that she's just, I think she's a really lovable character. And mm-hmm. she's become such a litmus test for readers where some people, like I've gone to book events and some people still love her and are just like, I get it. I get I get her, I get what's going on. And others are like, oh my gosh, you know? And it's, it's really been fascinating and in a way like an interesting psychological experiment to Uh see how different, how different readers take and I guess, analyze and, absorb and project. take interest in and project. Yes. You're so I mean this book, man, yeah. I will tell you, it's it's <laughs> definitely opened up my eyes to a lot of the projection that happens. I mean the internet in general has opened up my yeah. eyes to the way people project. Yeah. But but certainly this book in in general has been really interesting because I remember when I filed it and finished it, like I I knew that my characters were not that likable, but I also felt that they were very human and very mm. real. And it's And there's been... a context for
0: them. There's a totally, there's a very, totally. two very specific contexts for them yeah. then and,
2: and now. And yeah, it's not not their shining moment. Totally. And that was that was what I wanted to capture. Yeah. So I knew that, but it was really, really interesting to see how people some readers like loved that, obviously. And then some readers were just like so unlikable. I didn't connect to anybody. You know, that's it. And again, that's totally fine. But it's just super interesting to me because I just felt the whole time that they were not unlikable. They were just human. Yeah. And I think I realized that most of the books and novels that I like, especially when I was in my, my 20s, had very, very quote unlikable mm-hmm. protagonists. Mm-hmm. But I'm obsessed with that. I mean, I'm my. Like, you're in the
0: right place.
2: Totally, yeah. Yeah. totally. I mean, I, I again, I feel yeah, like I'm with yeah. my people
0: we eat this up. Safe space.
2: Yes. <laughs> no, and it's it's just been really, again, such an interesting journey to kind of go on when you build this world and you feel, again, like you're sort of in control of it, and then suddenly you're not. And to see how different people and different readers process. I do think that this, this book is... Would be very tough if to read if you had been a victim of bullying in your tweens and and it still felt raw in in some ways mm. to you. I think this would be a really hard book to read for that. But again, I I sort of just wanted to capture all facets of that experience of just me. I, I hate to use the term mean girls, but I think really it's just like each girl grappling with forces beyond her that feel very out of control and confusing and they just act out they act out and they lash out and they do whatever they can to essentially like survive in the way that they know
0: yeah and even so i want to talk about the structure of this novel because it's then and now and then is is 12 year old kind of really coming of age like hormones you know your body is literally like transforming in ways that you didn't even know were coming and barely can remember before but then even the where they are in the now is not I mean that's sort of like the end of their brains coming together this is not like you know wise you know old like you know this is this is also kind of a quarter life crisis or, or Saturn's return, whatever you want, like, it's a different period of time, but the same kind of feelings. So I love that those are the two periods of time that you chose, because there's no looking back with a with a wizened eye on on this. So, so tell us about that decision to make this. And it seems like this must have come late now that you've already kind of described where the journey that this this draft has gone on. When did Mm -hmm. you decide to include these later stages? And then flipping chapters then and now.
2: Yeah. So I guess it would have been 2018, right after NorCal. I mm. knew, like, I I just, I feel like it was like my flight home. I started oh thinking about, so that was March, 2018. I started drafting just like a new outline and thinking a little bit about the structure and what I wanted to do. And it felt like since I had these past chapters, originally it was not then and now. It was sort of more of like a present narrative, probably a little bit more like Marlena-esque, which is one of my favorite books. Mm, and um it's such a good and book. I, you know, with the flashbacks and all of that. But then it felt not uneven necessarily, but just like such different vibes to be going from like New York City to camp. And there's like this magic that those camp chapters, those earlier camp chapters, yeah. I think really like harness and the present chapters are a little bit more angsty and like you're in Amanda's head even more. And, you know, I I just felt like the voice of her in her twenties was similar, but like not fully the same as obviously her in, in those like past chapters and and when she was 12. So that's when I started to kind of think, okay, I'm going to toggle, I'm going to have this like back and forth because it just felt clearer from a narrative standpoint, and then I added in to amp up the suspense, I added in those sort of like text mm-hmm. interstitials that you don't really know who's like doing it and what's happening. So I guess I added those in. Let's see, I I had this draft done by probably the fall of 20... 18. Let's see. No, 2018. I had it. And then when did I go on submission? It would have been like about March of maybe a little bit before that, maybe January of 2019. Mm -hmm. I went on submission and started, or not submission, sorry. I started querying agents and I had a I would say a slightly unfinished draft. It was called Wildflowers. I still love that title. And it was inspired by the Dolly Parton song that's in there. But I love the Mm -hmm. idea of all of these girls Mm -hmm. just kind of like getting plopped into these new situations and again, finding these ways to grow and survive no matter where they landed. Mm -hmm. And so... I ended up signing with Michelle Brower, who's now at Trellis at the time she was at Avedis. And she had some great feedback on making it a little bit more thrillery or suspensey. And that's when I started adding in those interstitials and also added some twists near the end. So I would say it went from there was always a murder and there was always kind of like a dark ending for many of the men in the book, unfortunately <laughs> for them. But it just, it definitely took a little bit more of a a turn. And I was with Michelle's help, you know, she's, she's an editorial agent. So one of the, the things I loved about her was that she'll like sit down and really help me think through the, the narrative of whatever I'm working on. And she also just has excellent taste So I felt like I could really trust her guidance at that point because, you know, again, you're – like with a debut, I wish that I was one of those authors who was just so confident at that like stage with every single single thing I wrote and my voice Mm -hmm. and my story and I push back on everything. But that was not me. I also think the fact that I'm an editor, like I've always – had to collaborate and I also don't really get that offended when people are like, this is a shitty sentence and you need to delete it. Like, I mean, that's just, that's, that was my trade. Right. So, so I ended up revamping, I guess around then. And I signed with Michelle in March and I had my first son in May. So I basically tried to get, she got me editorial notes really quickly and I tried to get like a big revision into her before I had Patrick And I was still working full time at that point. This is pre-COVID. So I was like going into the city and, you know, it was kind of a crazy time to be navigating all this. But as I mentioned, I did have so much great support from the editorial team at Marie Claire. Honestly, like everybody there. I mean, I just, I have such wonderful memories of, of, and great relationships with so many of the people that I worked with there. But I ended up, basically we had like a final final that was close to what you now see. I ended up editing with Michelle for about a year, and she had a baby in the, in the same time too. So we had some months like each of us were not we tried to to coordinate in different ways. And then at the time, she also had Danya Kafka who is who wrote notes on an execution who was working on it at the time. Danya was working with Michelle, and so Danya also helped with edits and helped me with dialogue. Like she just was she had such pointed, wonderful, sharp feedback, and I Worked with both of them for about a year and then we went on submission to my editor or to just in general yeah. in March of 2020,
0: Boy. it was, oh, wow.
2: yes, we we went on submission the week that Tom Hanks and his, and <gasps> Lee Wilson had COVID. So we, I think it was, we were planning to go on submission a little bit earlier. And then we didn't know what was happening. Nobody knew what was happening. And I, at that stage, I had about a 10 month old who suddenly was like home from daycare. Michelle had, a, you know, we just, none of us knew what was going on. And we had a conversation where, you know, we sort of were like, do we wait? Do we wait and see what's happening and, and kind of hold off on this? Or do we just like send it out? And if nobody bites because it's too chaotic, we'll just you know, P- go on submission. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. Yeah. and so we ended up going on submission that week and that was the first week that publishers were working from home. And it was really interesting because for some editors that was a nightmare because they had yeah. like no childcare and they were trying to figure out different things going on. And for some it meant that all the meetings that they normally have to go to were suddenly canceled yeah. and they had more time to read. So my entire submission process was so abnormal, I think, because it <laughs> yeah. felt it felt really fast mm-hmm. in that I've had some friends who have had to wait like months and mine happened in almost a week because, again, I think there was just this like there were some right. some editors who by the time I had you know, my preempt from Harper, like I, they hadn't even probably opened the email, you know, just because again, life was so, yeah. And, and I ended up getting this, you know, preempt. There were three editors within Harper who were all, all, were all interested. So that's why we ultimately ended up deciding to go with a preempt because I felt like I had three amazing options and ended up going with Sarah Stein and she is just the absolute best. And it has, it was just such a joy to be able to work with her during COVID. She, at the time, her her son's like a few years older than mine. And I feel like we could, you know, every show that Sam was, like anything that she had to do to like help get through (laughs) the workday, like she, I I feel like I could take all of that wisdom and then use it once Patrick was a bit older, where I like, I learned about Daniel Tiger from her. I like, you know, really, really funny things. Um, And then I didn't even get to meet her in person, despite the fact that she's, we're both, you know, right around New York. I didn't even get to meet her in person until May of 2021 and we you know we did outdoor drinks and all of that kind of stuff and it was just but like I had another child in between then so it just yes, the whole <laughs> the whole thing was when it's I look crazy. back on it it's it's so weird because my second going on submission for a second time was really nerve-wracking in a different way but it also just felt like I don't know, less of a whirlwind and also like everything was just more normal and standard. Yes. I guess.
0: And you're like, right. I don't like this right. normal thing. I like my <laughs> yeah. wild. Well, and- one
2: week. Oh my gosh. Well, it's also, you know, you have your, in most contracts, you're editor, your previous editor will have like our publisher will have first right of refusal for your yeah. manuscript, your next manuscript. And so usually there's like a 30 day clause where they have 30 days where it's like exclusively submitted to them and whatnot. And so I remember like thinking in my head, sort of delusionally, oh, well, like they won't need the whole 30 days. Like I love Sarah, like she's going to love this. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you have 30 days and you have a list of deadlines that do not give you exclusive 30 days like you're going to bump that near nearer to the end of right. like okay i'll make sure i get back to you within these 30 days it's great but so i we went on submission like right before i put out the wild one and i was just like and I remember texting Michelle at some point, just being like, "Do you think she doesn't like it? Like, why haven't we heard him Michelle? Yeah. Like, she probably yeah. hasn't read it yet. Just relax." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting that you can still find ways to anxiety spiral even when everything seems pretty okay. <laughs> um, yes. And and so it ended up again all working out. And I now I'm doing my next two books with Sarah and Harper. But but yeah, it was it was just such a my first but submission But also, you missed the strike. Was, you yes, I spring. did. I missed the strike. So that happened. You have some, um, I,
0: you have some impeccable my timing. My timing is lucky. Your timing so, yeah. is lucky
1: or it's meant to be, which leads yeah. me, of course, to I the know. question you know we're going to ask. <laughs> but it's funny because I didn't know that you were a control freak till we got on the phone earlier and that we have three control freaks on the phone because we always joke that our love of astrology has a lot to do with us trying to loosen our control freak you know, tendencies yeah. and to sort of believe that there's something bigger at play here. So, so maybe, maybe you need this too. Maybe you're into this <laughs> too. But, but what is your sign and do you relate? Although I kind of already know, I
2: think you're a Gemini. I am. I'm yes. a Gemini. Okay. Um, I know I was going to say it's funny because I. There are some people who might consider me a control freak in certain situations. and then some people who probably More think like- I'm like borderline bohemian and like just like a so scatterbrained and all over the place. and it just really gemini. I'm very yes. much a gemini it's a duality um, yeah. like my i yes. i was I got my haircut for the first time in like. God, like seven months, you know, parenting, it's just, it was like low priority. And I finally went and I was talking to my stylist, Melissa, who's just the best. And she's really into astrology. And she was (gasps) laughing, but she was telling me, she's like, you're totally a Gemini, I can tell. And she was joking that she's like, your husband probably loves it because it's like every day, it's like a new adventure. Like, who am I going to get? I was like, that's actually kind of Mm -hmm. true. Um, My
0: husband's a Gemini and that is how I feel. And I love it. That is, it suits me very well.
2: I know I've always loved being a Gemini but then like I so I follow some of the astrology astrology stuff a little bit more like peripherally. I'm definitely not super like immersed in knowing everything but I love some of the different memes and I used to be a little bit more into like there was this friend I had in high school who had like a full blown like almost like an encyclopedia of astrology and she was very Uh into it. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure now she's doing like the charts and you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: Like you mean like this?
2: Yes, exactly. Yes.
0: That's probably
2: like the book she, like the early book she had or something. But, but I remember she was the first person who kind of got me a bit more into it and like on a deeper level than just reading in some, you know, lifestyle magazine, the like your little blurb. Yeah, And it's just funny because I don't, I didn't know that people really are terrified and don't like Gemini's or like they have a bad rap. I didn't know did this until more recently. It's, it's
1: not, yeah, it's the, it's the, oh, they're crazy. They're two-faced, you know, it's, it's a
0: misconception. It is. Love. I did not know that either, frankly, and- I, until pretty recently. It maybe it's yeah. come up yeah. more with the memes, but I always yeah. thought Scorpios yeah. were the ones that got the most yeah. hate, but it's pretty close. It's Gemini. I know. Too, I and I, I just remember. Both of them remember. very misunderstood.
2: Oh, completely. And I remember I had this quote back when Facebook was new and you'd like people would put quotes in because like you had one page and you know, it was like, whatever I put out there obviously represents everything about me. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is like, exactly. You had to move on from like aim quotes and away messages to like, what are you going to put on your Facebook? Because of course we can't just... You know, we, we have to use quotes and song lyrics to express ourselves, at least as millennials. And so we, I had a quote from, I don't even know if she actually said this, but I found it somewhere on the internet in like 2006 that Natalie Portman said like, I'm a Gemini. So I change my mind every day. And that was literally my Facebook quote. Like that was my, Love it. <laughs> my yeah. Love it. I just, and at the time I thought that was so cool and like totally got me. And now again, in this new phase of like the Gemini hate, I'm like, oh man, probably yeah. should have tried to hide that one a little bit more.
0: <laughs> no, because you will find your people. I love
2: it. Yes. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of love,
2: what are you loving right now? Is there anything you want to share with us? Books, TV shows. In terms of TV shows, I'm so behind. Like, I just just watched Daisy Jones, and I did uh-huh. love that. And I. I love the entire foundation of, of like the book itself of that Silver Springs video between Lindsey Buckingham yeah. and Stevie Nicks. I just mm-hmm. think that's like, mm-hmm. I, my husband always laughs because every time we have like too many cocktails at home, I'm like, let's watch the video. Let's watch yeah. it. It's so good. Yeah. Oh my, it's because good it's just, it's it. like, it's a great song too. Um, but yes. so we have, I loved that show. We are not caught up with succession yet. So I pretty much know what happens now. I know I'm, again, like, I feel like we're just, we get so tired after, since my kids wake yeah. up so early I feel like I'm going yeah, to bed at like 9 30 or we just end up talking and then in terms of reading I have oh one show I did like sorry to jump around but one yeah. show I did like that I think is so underrated and it's it was hilarious was class of 07 on Amazon
0: I oh, it was
2: I forget I think I was one of my kids was home something happened where I just like my week freed up and oh I had a stomach bug that's it. I got it from one of my oh. kids. And I just like, <laughs> yeah. I was totally bedridden. And so this show came up and it was like 30 minute episodes. I think it's Australian. And I I was class of 07 in high school. So I was a little bit like, huh, I think they're targeting me with this marketing. Yes. And it's about, it's like an apocalyptic sort of scenario, like yellow, which I love yellow jackets and, and all that. But it instead of it being like this serious drama about, you know, girls like Essentially eating each other and whatnot. It was, it's like about a group of girls who get together for their 2007 reunion at an all girls Catholic school. And there is like a massive natural disaster that causes them to be fully, like, there's flooding all around this, like, like they're the at land. the top of a hill. At, yeah. So they're stuck right. at their school and all of the old, like, traumas and, you know, like they just revert to their this. old selves. That's amazing. And, but it's funny. Like it's so funny. And I just was la- like, it, That's it felt very different from nice. Yellow Jackets. <laughs> yes, it felt yeah. nice. I think I have gone through like we went through a fantasy phase a little bit during covid of like i we watched rewatch star wars and lord of the rings and like a lot of like really escapist kinds of movies and then i was into like a lot of serious dramas and whatnot and i think i just wanted something like light in a way that that was yeah. still had some interesting substance and was like played into my nostalgia, but it, it's really good. I highly ah, recommend it because I I, I just had a highlight. really fun time watching it, and I love shows that are thirty like a quick yes, thirty minute yes. show. I yeah. can't commit to like some of these shows. I really want to watch. I'm like, you have three seasons, and the, each episode is an hour, it's and an there's hour. how many Like, I just can't catch up to that. You know, trust me. Um, that's okay. So yeah, the thirty I minute thing it's like, yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. want to, I want I want to good. watch it, but oh, you know, yeah. So that's a good one. And then Which, in terms of books that I have been into lately. So I just finished Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monaghan, which is super fun. And it has very like Carly Fortune vibes, which I really, really I read that in one day, literally one day.
1: Yes, it's just, it's it's like,
2: it's like beach read candy, you know, it's um, it's super good. And I like that the character, you know, the, the main character, Sam, like she has, she's like going through this essentially identity crisis but it's mm-hmm. done in a little bit more of like a, a not light is the wrong word, but I feel like in a way that is super digestible. Still on the beach, where you know I don't want to knock myself, but like I can, I feel like my characters can get a little bit more angsty and like like spiral and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot like of interiority and, and all of that. And I think Annabelle did, just did a great job of like continuing to move along the plot and That's and keep yeah. things. Like, really, really just, like, fun and juicy, and and I enjoyed it a lot. I also recently read Neruda on the Park by Clavis Natera, and that is very different than yes. um, Same Time Next Summer. But, again, just such, like, Clavis has such a clear, confident, and funny voice. Her writing mm-hmm. voice is just, like, I, I could just really like anything she ever writes, I feel like I will, I will read. And this story is, you know, it's a lot of what people have probably seen is it focuses on gentrification and, and basically this like condo building that is being, they want to like buy out everybody in it to essentially like build, you know, a a fancy apartment and, or apartment building. And the thing though about this book is that I loved was that it really is like a family drama and a family Mm. saga. And it covers so many really, really like complicated challenges from like culture and gentrification to class, to race, like just so, so many topics in a way that I feel like again, Clavis' voice just allows it to be really digestible. There there's sort of this like chorus of like the town gossips. Like it's just there's there's a really, really fun way that she tells the story that's really beautiful and focuses a lot on like this mother-daughter relationship. And again, it's just really layered and I highly recommend it because it it's it's just like I couldn't put it down as yes. we were talking about yes, right. um, and then I just started Beware the Woman by Megan Abbott um, and I mean yeah. I like you, you when Megan Abbott comes out like injected in my veins, yes. I am her biggest fan that's and right. so I'm really really excited to I, I'm like on page five so yeah. I don't know much about the the vibe and whatnot but but yeah, that's kind of I'm trying to think of like other books Those that i've read recently they're good. Yeah. good like i i yeah. read like romantic comedy recently by curtis and felt love that again anything she writes i think her voice is really fun I'm trying to think of a few and others so i do unique. want to read like yeah it's unique yeah. and like it was it was very fun to read about about snl in a yes. way you know yes. and i i think the, the whole she
0: goes deep right yeah
2: inside oh. baseball Totally. And like the whole sort of idea of like commenting on the Pete Davidson phenomenon or really like Colin, like there's just, it's funny. Like you don't think about it that much until somebody writes a book like that. And I, I really uh, liked that. Yeah. I really liked that she commented on that phenomenon, but instead of in in a very courteous way, like did took a positive spin on it instead yeah. of making it like this really negative sort of like feminist takedown or something. I think it's in a way it, it sort of was like feminist in a very different way than what I would yeah. have probably done myself. <laughs> so I think it's yes. good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Thanks so Chris fun. What a treat me. for me. Two weeks in a row. I mean,
2: I don't know how we're gonna. Spend <laughs> this the rest one is. I was gonna say this one's less prosecco fueled though. So I think that's probably good. I was a little bit more. <laughs> censored and filtered. See, well, that's that was my Gemini coming out. You know, I have like homebody Colleen who loves to just like read and write and like never leave the house. And then like when she's out, like yeah. Colleen is really yes. out. Yes, this is
1: really <laughs> out. Is my are very social. The <laughs>
0: there yes, you go. Yes, yes. The Wild One is out in paperback now. If you don't have the hardcover, it's a great read, a page turner. Like I said, I couldn't put it down. So thanks again for coming. And you'll have to Thank come back again yeah. with- With two more books. Next summer is
2: Riptide. Yes, next summer is Riptide. We don't have a a set date just yet. I think I should have it in the next few months. So I will keep you posted. But yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you guys.